We are recording. All right. This is the third of what I hope will be many more interviews with 2021 Grand Lodge candidates. Uh, and today we have uh, somebody I have had the pleasure of seeing on uh, at a few different Masonic events over the years, Brother Rick Cadell. Thank you so much for being here. Or Richard Cadell. I should have asked before, do you prefer Rick or Richard? Rick's fine. That's what I go by. Um, I will go. See you again, Cameron. Good to see you too. I'll go through the uh, the standard um, standard caveats at the start, uh, which if you've tuned into the last two episodes, you'll know by now. Uh, this is a there is an open invitation to all uh, Grand Lodge candidates if. For whatever reason, I haven't managed to get in touch with you. My email is on the bottom of the screen. Just look down and shoot me off an email and I will make sure to respond. Uh, I speak, you know, this podcast uh, uh, speaks for itself. We don't represent Grand Lodge of Canada, Windsor Masonic Temple or anything like that. Um, and obviously, you know, these interviews aren't meant as endorsements, uh, but they are a chance for Freemasons in Ontario and you know, for that matter, nationally, internationally, to get to know our 2021 candidates. Um, and in the comments or in the description, you will find more information about Brother Cadot as well as information about voting in Grand Lodge this year, because it is a little bit different. Uh, isn't that right, Brother Cadot? Yes, it is. We're, we're treading uncharted territory. Uh, well, that's it. That's uh, an interesting topic to get into. Uncharted territory. You know, the last year and a half, gosh, however long it's been since since COVID started, it really does feel like uncharted territory in so many different ways, whether it be in people's work lives, families, medical, we're all kind of treading these these waters together. And then Add on to that, it's uncharted territory for Freemasonry. Absolutely, at least 100 years worth. That's a good point. You know, we went through it before, but even then, um, you know, there's no, there are some older Masons, but there are none that I know who were went through 1918, um, or at least were Masons in 1918. So, I guess from your perspective, both as a Mason and as a candidate, um, how do you feel we will, how do you feel both we Freemasons have done going through these uncharted waters? And also what do you see for the future of the craft? Because, you know, I got my vaccination, everybody should get vaccinated, but obviously even with vaccinations, you know, it's still a process to get us back to where we were before and reopened uh, fully. Right. Now, if you ever gone back, read the proceedings to Grand Lodge back in the 1918 and 1919, you had the deities of various districts, they make a comment or two about the pandemic back then, back in the Spanish flu. And they don't have a lot of information, but they touch the fact the lodges were closed and, you know, it, it was uncharted for them as well. So I, and then if you go and read the concurrent ones or the ones that come out afterwards, they actually came back rather strong. And again, at that time, you have a brother coming back from the wartime. Um, so I, I think it's going to be frustrating. It's going to be an adjustment. Um, People are going to be probably a little reluctant, a little bit scared um, coming into this. But I think we're going to push through. I mean, Mason has been through much worse. I mean, we've gone through wars. Where we've been shut down for years. And we've survived. So I don't see a reason why we're not going to survive this at all. Uh, it might be a little short, um, short attempt at the beginning until people, again, get their comfort levels up. And I think we're going to push through this just fine. So moving from uh, uncharted territory or uncharted waters to more chartered waters, uh, talk, to, talk to us a bit about yourself, uh, starting with uh, 
you know, how it is you came to be part of, of this series, your, what you are running for, your candidacy, um, and kind of your purpose for having your name forward or for standing for the position. Um, I've been involved with Grand Lodge probably, well, for the last 11 years on a, on a more of a uh, less than official stat area. And I've been involved through the College of Freemasonry. So when I was still senior deacon in my lodge, I took the course. Um, I was very, very impressed by it. Um, obviously, I caught someone's attention, and they asked me to become a mentor myself when I was completing my studies. That mentoring really opened my eyes to brethren out, to other brethren out there. I, I get an idea of that, you know, some things exist outside of St. Thomas District, where I was initiated at. There's other areas that, that masonry being our backbone, but people see it differently. They experience it differently. They get a different take on it. And it really opens your eyes. Um, some people don't look beyond their own lodge. Some don't look beyond their own district. But if you do, it's a whole different world. The things that you can bring back to your lodge, or you may see something that you practice in your lodge and offer it to them, and they'll take and run with it. So it's a great exchange of information out there. So I, basically, through my time of being at the college, communicating with these people, I'm, I, I want to do more. And that's exactly what I'm hoping for. Um, I'm not afraid to make contact with the brethren out there. Um, I don't do this strictly through email. I'll pick up the phone and, and call a brother who's struggling. There's the odd um, question out there where you can do a quick yes or no or um, you know, look at the Constitution on this page, that type of thing. But you get a, a real sense for who's having the struggles in their studies. I just pick up the phone call the brother we have a great five or 35 minute conversation and he's on his way so um i really enjoy that those conversations and hopefully i can do more for the brethren you know that you you bring up something that has been brought up consistently throughout my podcast but also even recently with these grand lodge candidate interviews the value and importance of traveling and of visitation in a mason's career i mean my advice to a new mason is always um, as much as you can visit and travel whether it be you know outside of your district or even to another lodge within your district the more you travel and visit with other brethren the more full and the better a mason you will be and I think you touched on that. I think that's very true. Yeah. So uh, the building where my mother lodges, I know this is through, through the jurisdiction, three lodges meet in there. So yes, same place, same lodge room, but the three lodges have three distinct personalities. And they're all, they, they all have their own appeal. I'm a member of three different lodges in three different districts. They all cater to a different, style if you will a different personality i love them both oh sorry i love them all all three of them i wouldn't trade them for anything that's my <laughs> personal choice you know uh as somebody who's running for grand lodge um but even as a, a mason and this is something that i've been thinking a lot about um kind of the role of Freemasonry uh, in 2021. Um, you know, I, I wonder, uh, you know, it's no, it's not shocking to, to anybody to say that there's, there's more than a few problems in the world that are discussed pretty regularly on the news. Um, and it seems as though Freemasonry is one of uh, very few organizations that has a philosophy and if practiced well, 
uh, has the ability to really influence the world in a positive way. Um, I guess my question is, do you feel, what do you feel about the role of Freemasonry in 2021? Do you think that Freemasons are doing enough to influence the world in a positive way? Could we be doing more? Uh, being more active in the communities, things like that. I guess, you know, or, or should we be tending to our own house as opposed to kind of engage in advocacy or things like that, whether it be advocacy about vaccines or whatever it may be, you know, encouraging people to get them, things like that. Um, I I think Mason's right now, I think what we're doing, we're definitely on the right track. Um, maybe if more people knew about us in the way that we would like to be perceived, Mason rolls with the punches. That's why we've survived for 304 years. We, we adjust to what's going on around us. In some cases, we may think, you know, Masons, they hate change. Yeah, that's a rumor. We've all seen that in our individual lodges in our districts. But do we really hate change? Why, why have we survived so long? It wasn't by being stagnant wasn't by saying no all the time. We've said yes a number of times. So I really think leading by example. And I also think masonry attracts men who are on the same mindset as we are. So are we going to see an onslaught of thousands of men? I don't know. But I think the, the ones that we do attract, I think they're going to be quality men. And I think as long as we're there, that's what we're going to attract. So that's an interesting, there's a, there's a lot of interesting things in, in that answer. The idea of, of who we're attracting, I think is, is a very, there's a whole, that you can go on for hours on that topic because I mean, Grand Lodge itself, right, has talked about not only in our jurisdiction, but I know other Grand Lodges about the importance of, you know, quote unquote, guarding the West Gate meaning mm -hmm. you know, being cautious about membership and making sure that when an applicant comes to the lodge, um, you know, the process isn't just rushed through, but that he's given a chance to meet the brethren and given a chance to learn more about the craft and the lodge so he can make a decision for him and his family as to whether it's right for him to join, as opposed mm -hmm. to just pushing through, pushing through kind, kind of thing. And I guess how right. important do you think do you think that is the idea of you know it's one thing to attract somebody's uh, interest, but then making sure that you know you talk to them about why they're interested in Freemasonry, what to expect, um, and making sure that they kind of they understand what the craft is before they put the time and effort into joining. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. They, they need to be informed what we really are about. Yeah, absolutely. We want to make sure they're joining for the right reasons. Um, they're not looking for the Illuminati type mindset, you know, any get rich quick schemes, uh, looking for clientele for the business. I think if our brethren are diligent in asking the right questions and spending time with that candidate, I don't see how we can go wrong. I'm sure, you know, we, we've been, we've let some men in that probably should not have been let in. You're going to get that for any organization, but um, they eventually find their way out. Um, have we lost some men that probably should have stayed? I'm sure we have, but that's on us. And we need to keep those guys here. I think a lot of it's based on why have they joined and our lodge offered that man he's looking for? But I also think lodges cannot be afraid to say that's not something that our lodge does or that um, uh, that's not our personality, but the lodge down the road does. And I think he'd be a great fit there because, you know, we feel you're the right guy for masonry. So don't be afraid to refer him to, to another lodge where that personality. So just like some people are, their occupation is law enforcement and they prefer to be with people who are law, law enforcement based. Let them go to that lodge. 
I think on the whole, all we should care about is having the right man in masonry. Not necessarily my lodge, your lodge, but you want them in the craft. And the other um, kind of broader point about, you know, attracting, um, attracting men to Freemasonry uh, is, you know, to what extent uh, I feel, and one concern I have is that the, the focus in some, sometimes the focus is too much on when we talk about attracting people and men to the craft, it's in, it's, the implication is, you know, seeking membership um, as opposed to attracting uh, people to the craft, attracting men to the craft in the sense of um, having people uh, recognize the valuable role that a Masonic temple and lodge can play in the community. And even if they don't necessarily become a member, they recognize its value um, and its importance. So even something like this, this podcast, for example, obviously I, I would hope that this would be of interest to Freemasons, but I believe that, you know, there are several episodes um, which could be of interest to anybody because we discuss things that, you know, Freemasonry teaches things that are universal and, and, something like this podcast and, and whatever it may be, it can benefit the community as a whole, even non-members. I think everybody in a city is better off if that city has a Masonic temple in it that is strong and growing. Um, you know, even I had a, a podcast not that long ago about the connections that Freemasons make with local small businesses who help them, you know, they cater the food. Um, we had a, a brewery on who, you know, had an event with the Masonic Lodge that was really able to help his business during a COVID shutdown and help keep it afloat. Nice. So it just, sometimes perhaps, I don't know what your thoughts are, this, sometimes we, we have this idea that we need to reach out for the purpose of membership as opposed to we need to reach out for the purpose of um, just creating partnerships in the larger community and, and uh, growing the the recognition of the value of the craft, even if someone is not a member. I don't think we need to get out there just to, with the hopes of getting more members. I think we should be out there because, you know, helping a local business or a soup kitchen is the right thing to do. Plain and simple, it's the right thing to do. If we get a good candidate out of it, fantastic. But either way, it's a win-win situation if we get a candidate. If we don't get a candidate, you still win because you've still gone out and did what's right to help whom needs that help, whether it's the, the people on the street uh, getting warm or highway cleanups or Masonic chips. I don't think we need to go out and look for membership. I, I think we're going to attract membership naturally. There's, there's a quote about that. I can't think of how it goes exactly, but about um, um, uh, you, you know, fo focusing, focus on, don't focus on other people, focus on making yourself as good as you can be and, and helping people as much as you can. And then the people will fall or the whatever it is you're looking for, right? If you focus on money, you'll never get it. But if you focus on a skill set, the money will follow the skills. If you focus on right. being helpful to the community, the people will follow. But if you focus on membership, that can be self-defeating because then it, people start to feel like it's just, you know, you're just trying to get members as opposed to trying to better the community. Right. I don't think we need to do a membership drive if that's what you're referring to. <laughs> no. Yeah, no, I guess it's just the, the question of, of again, um, you know, where we we focus our efforts as a craft um, and one thing is you know and i think you touched on it perfectly you know not focusing so much on membership in you know increasing membership as we focus on um, just being the the best masons we can be and the membership the people will find us kind of thing that's the right will we'll recognize it and find it. 
I think that naturally the good people will see what we do. They'll look at what we do. They'll ask us why we're doing it and ask us who we are. And then from there, if they are also a good person, a good man, he's going to make further inquiries and start the ball rolling. What would you say, um, how would you define, and I recognize that, you know, every entered apprentice is asked this on his road to moving up the degrees. Um, so I'm not looking for a ritual answer, obviously, but uh, just in your, in your mind, how would you define a Freemason? I would define a Freemason as a man who has looked within himself, has found deficits, and is looking to improve those deficits and hopefully to spread or teach another fellow man about himself, share his experience and how it has changed him. And hopefully another man will look at that and say, I want some of that. How can I get there as well? Do you think that that is a, or how much of Freemasonry would you describe as a skills-based endeavor? versus a membership kind of qualification. So um, I can, for example, join a, a boxing gym, but having the membership in the gym wouldn't make me a boxer. It would be the extent to which I'm at the gym and training and practicing. Um, it means you pay dues. <laughs> yeah, I pay my dues, but that doesn't make me a boxer. Uh, as I would discover, you know, if I ever tried to go in the ring and, uh, without any training. So the, the process of recognizing those deficits and then attempting to improve them and encouraging others to improve within themselves their deficits, how much of that is a skills-based endeavor that requires you know, attendance and, and, and work versus you know, is that the type of thing that can be done on one's, on one's own? I think skill sets will come. Um, I find that a lot of masonry is lead by example. Uh, just for example, if you are, say, the senior deacon in your lodge and you are watching the junior warden's lecture, because all of a sudden you're paying attention and it's like, I need to do that next year. So I'm going to watch this guy, see how he does it. Or if you have, I'm partial to this. You have the Grand Junior Warden degree team come to your lodge and you're going to watch these guys because, you know, being the Grand Junior Warden, I kind of expected to be, uh, I'm going to use the term loosely, I'm not trying to, we'll say be a rock star, if you will, in the Junior Warden's lecture and because they're held to much higher um, level of expectation and they're going to watch and see what they do, how they do it. Or even someone in your district who has a reputation who's doing the same thing. And you are going to gravitate to that man and say, how do you do that? Watch me next time and tell me where I can improve. So I think looking for that self-improvement, I think we gravitate that naturally. If you really don't care about something, you're going to find something else. I really like also that you brought up the, the senior deacon. Um, you know, in my, uh, in my humble opinion, the most, so if you ask a brand new Mason, you know, what's the most important office in a lodge, you'd probably say the worshipful master. If you ask a more experienced Mason, the most important office in the lodge, you'd probably say secretary and probably the most experienced would say, um, maybe treasurer, because that is a very important role that sometimes gets overlooked, but I think the deacons might actually be the most important officers in a lodge because they really do set the tone for a degree and for a candidate, not explaining what they do because we, you know, this is open to the public, but, you know, I've, I've told more than a few deacons, um, you know, before degrees, just how just not to take for granted 
the responsibility that they have because, you know, a calm, uh, collected deacon, you see that transfer to a candidate and the way the candidate goes through a degree. And, um, you know, it's, uh, I always tell them, you know, it's a privilege to get the chance to lead somebody metaphorically uh, through, through the craft and not to take that for granted. I really think the deacon's position is something that gets overlooked and hopefully the deacons do as you said look to the senior officers for an example of of how to be in their office and how to advance to the next one um i would say the most important officer would be the junior steward reason for that because he is brand new he is going to be a sponge of information he is going to be looking all over he's going to be overwhelmed at first going to take him a few months to find his footing and then he's going to start asking questions and i think in his mind at that time he starts formulating where he's going to be in what year and what he has to do next so i think having those inquisitive minds at all times at, at the very junior officer stage is very valuable that's where the training begins is at the junior steward level he sparked that interest then you are going to have a fantastic offer throughout his career, his Masonic career into the East. How important is it for a senior officer, past master, to take the time to answer those questions that a junior steward will have? First was any newer Mason, but as you said, especially in the case of a junior steward, he's brand new, he's looking around, um, you know, the importance of making the time to to be there and answer the questions of a junior officer and kind of help guide him along the uh, the journey. I think whether it be past master, worst master, anybody who's a senior officer or a senior, I think it's absolutely a necessity that he sit near or um, be at this man's beck and call because any of those questions you answer openly, honestly, and correctly, you're setting that man for life. You're setting him for life. So, yes, I, I think it's absolutely a necessity. Those past masters make themselves available because they are your largest future. If you have junior officers who are not engaged, your lodge won't be engaged. What do you mean by setting him up for life? Um, a lot of, uh, Masonically. is it necessarily Masonically or are there lessons from, are there lessons that can be learned within a Masonic Lodge that can be actually applied to, to one's life? Well, I, I would equate the fact that if you see someone in a leadership role and he truly leads you, whether it be by example or in word but that you voluntarily follow this man or woman, if it's in your personal life, and you, you learn to respect them for what they do. And you will keep following that person because you're, they spend time with you. They answer your questions correctly and they steer you in the right direction. Masonically, it's the same thing. You have a past master won't give you the time of day or Eventually, you're going to lose interest. You're going to leave. Occupational-wise, same thing. Eventually, you're going to quit your job because you don't like your boss. You're going to go find another job somewhere else. And I think, basically, you have the same thing. If you're not encouraged by the senior officers in the lodge, you're going to lose interest. You're going to go somewhere else, whether to a different lodge, or you may leave the craft entirely. So I think the past master, yeah, he's left east. He, has, he doesn't have those responsibilities but I think he has different responsibilities that are just as important. And, you know, the question of responsibilities is, is an interesting one. What are the, you know, how would you define somebody's responsibility to the, to the craft? You know, we touched on it a little before the idea of a quote unquote, you know, dues, dues paying member, right? You, you have members who, they pay dues, but they never attend, or even as an officer, they may never attend or very rarely attend. 
um, you know, to what extent um, would you say, what are the responsibilities that Mason has to his lodge? Is it just a matter of as long as he pays his dues that he can, anything else is, is extra? Or do you think that there could be or should be responsibilities as to things like attendance, um, ritual work, uh, things of that nature? So first, yes, it's a voluntary organization, so you cannot dictate responsibilities. Um, for me personally, I, I look as my responsibility as a pastor master of my lodge as someone who's going to guide those young members. I've had um, a couple of three really fantastic mentors, and I think without those men helping me out, I wouldn't be where I'm, I'm hopefully going to go now or I wouldn't have done what I've done for the last number of years in masonry. So I look as my responsibility to help these other young masons. Um, as a whole, I would hope that other past masters would take on the responsibility which is bestowed upon them as a young mason to help someone else as well. well. At least one mason, you know, help get them going. So the, the voluntary nature of the, the craft, right? That is, that is the thing I've struggled with the most in my Masonic journey. Um, or the, the idea of you know, not being able to, to dictate responsibilities the way other areas of, of one's life is. Because um, I can, you know, I, uh, I haven't missed a meeting in, however many years or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm regularly attending and I did my work, but, you know, so often we would, you see brothers who they join or they attend a few meetings and then they miss and even if they're officers and the challenge of trying to facilitate and manage a lodge under those circumstances, um, I guess that's always been my struggle is, is, at what point does a lodge, or do you think there's ever a point where a lodge has the, the right to, you know, say to a brother, like we have expectations as to your attendance or we have expectations as to your work, even if it's a matter of like at the, the officer level. So maybe, you know, a brother shouldn't be this officer because he's not attending or whatever it is, or is it because it's a voluntary organization it's just reliant on the lodge to foster and create goodwill and just to encourage members to attend. Um, I think it's very important that an officer make that a personal obligation after you know his family and work, of course. But I think once you become an officer or once you seek to be an officer, I think that's your voluntary way of saying, yes, I am going to you know, make this a priority in my life, you know, number three or number four, not number 10. And I'm going to give you my all. And if you cannot take on those obligations, I, I think you should step back and, you know, come back a few years later, say, maybe when your kids grow a little older and, you know, you can take that two or three nights a month and move on with that. So, I think if you're going to take on that role, I think you should look at it seriously. And as I said before, like the junior steward, for example, he, yes, he's a very important officer, but I think it's also very important for the members to look at him and say, you know, yes, he's showing great interest. He's, he's doing all, he's doing all the right things, or we've only seen him once now is at the, is at the, uh, the last worship master's installation. And maybe he's not going to work out. So maybe you need to have that chat with him and say, you know, maybe senior steward's not your place right now. Let's look at you again in a few years. So and that's, I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. Um, Cause a, a concern I, I have is, um, you know, seeing very often brothers moving through the chairs who perhaps aren't necessarily ready for the chair or in some cases even wanting the chair they're just moved up because there's a, a space to fill and it needs to be filled. Um, 
yeah, so I, I guess, what would you say, I guess, how would you, you balance out these different things? Or what advice would you have for lodges trying to, you know, looking at officer lineups and considering moving people up who may not be either ready or willing or a combination thereof? Oh, I look at the junior Stewart as being an eight-year interview or he's becoming worse mess. So the lodge members can look at this man and say, yes, you know, we want him to lead our lodge in eight years. And he's going to be looked at all throughout his career um, within those officers' chairs. So, sorry, I've gone off track. No, um, no, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Junior Stewart is an eight-year job interview for the lodge. I like that, uh, that analogy. But again, if he's not working out, I think the lodge needs to step up and, you know, leave the chair empty if they must. And take that hit or make sure you have one or two past masters or three to step in and, you know, take that appointment for a year. Let everybody else know that, you know, we want to be a successful lodge. We want our officers to stand tall and be successful. And if we just keep pushing people through, in some cases, people push through because they really, they, they can't say no for whatever their personal reasons are, or they don't know how to say no. And they're just being pushed, pushed, pushed. And then the lodge wonders why, once you get senior years or senior chairs, why it's not working out for the lodge. So I think sometimes that's, that's the member's fault. So... I think it's a two-way street. If you're not ready, don't do it. Or if you think someone is not ready, don't push them through. Now, moving back on to uh, yourself in particular, um, tell us a little bit about your, I, I know you, you mentioned you're a member of three, three lodges, uh, but we don't have uh, that much time. So tell us a bit about your, your mother lodge, kind of your um, Masonic journey uh, thus far? Okay, my mother lodge is St. Mark's Lodge 94 in St. Thomas District. Um, it's, uh, it originated as uh, a farmer's lodge and a seafaring lodge back in the 1800s, uh, where uh, it uh, originated in Port Stanley, so there was a lot of fishing going on, and moving back and forth to Cleveland and so a lot of ship's captains and workmates. Um, but I, I came, I'm, I'm the first in my family to be a Mason that I'm aware of. I have a great, great uncle somewhere that was apparently. And so I got in and I, I don't know, I kind of gravitated to it personally. I, I joined later in life and I'm I'm a nosy little fella, <laughs> so I started to uh, nose around, see what else is out there w within the craft. I was really starting to enjoy with my lodge because we had I had a lot of really good, uh, a couple of great sponsors. I had some really um, great mentors within the lodge, and I was always looking for something more, 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 more. And eventually, I found the College for Masonry, and that's what really pushed me, you know, in different directions. And I, I touched on earlier where I got to meet all kinds of people uh, throughout the jurisdiction. Um, from there, uh, craft lodge wise, um, after I was fortune master, I, I sought election and was elected grand junior warden. And that really let me um, to travel throughout the province as much as I could. And like right, anywhere from Ottawa all the way down to, you know, your lodge. <laughs> When I was Grand Junior Warden. So my eyes really widened. And from the time when I was started running for Grand Junior Warden through that year and onwards, I've met a lot of other men, brethren, whether he's an apprentice or you know, past grandmaster. A lot of these guys have taught me a lot about what's going on to really look around to appreciate what's out there, appreciate the different personalities and lodges. And I loved it ever since. And I feel it's time for me uh, to give back. 
And that's exactly what I'm hoping to do is to give back a little bit more. I remember going to, I don't know if it was your lodge or not, but I, I taking a trip to Port Stanley for um, mm-hmm. a fish fry night. Yeah, senior warden. There you go. It was a great time. I very much enjoyed it. I remember the lodge room was packed because um, it's a it's a smaller lodge room. So I remember that it was a great trip. Fun time. We got back like two. You, you were sitting right in front of the junior wards chair. I looked at you and said, "How did you get up here?" That's that's right. Yeah, I remember that. That, that was it, me. It was Paul Rogers who carried uh, the chair up. It was it was a great time. Uh, just another example of the the you know, benefit of traveling and uh, yep. another example of a fun night and why it's really important to travel as much as you can. Uh, but I think that actually that year, seeing you there from traveling two hours away is what it almost starstruck me because I mean, I'm used to seeing people from all over St. Thomas district, you know, a few people from London came down for our official visit. But someone coming from Windsor, I mean, that's a two, two and a quarter hour drive. And I'm like, is our fish that great? I mean, we're just right on the lake, too. Well, first, yes. <laughs> we eat the same fish. <laughs> yes, it, it was great. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the water's a little bit different around Port Stanley, but it was delicious fish. Or was um, it the free perch? What? Oh, no, that, that, that was the year we first started charging. Oh, well. In that case, uh, it was still worth the cost. I, I remember it was a good trip. But, you know, you say that. I mean, it's two and two and a half hours. I, uh, the interview yesterday, um, you know, I talked about uh, an all-night trip to Chicago to visit a lodge. Um, you know, there are, there are other professions, other areas of, of life where you know, two, three, four, five hour trips are not uncommon. I, you know, I think of the world of professional wrestling, who knows, stand-up comedy, music, arts, all these things, you know. Um, it's, it's common to travel very long distances for, for an event. Um, so yeah, so any, any Masons watching this, you know, don't be fucking lazy get on the road and drive. And if you have to drive a few hours, it's worth it. You get delicious fish. You know, there's no reason to, to limit yourself to visitations or, you know, at the very least, don't be lazy and visit another lodge in your district at a minimum, right? Like it's in the same building half the time Just show up on another night. Don't be lazy. You're going to have a good time regardless of where you go anyway. So. Yeah. You know, you you will for sure. You'll have a great time. You'll be, new people uh, yeah and no, i know you know as masons we're not supposed to say don't be lazy and you know we're supposed to say we understand that you're busy but i don't always understand that sometimes i think it's worth it to uh even if you're tired to get out on the road and go visit another uh, jurisdiction yeah great time i mean and, and if you go to the lodge you can see a degree i, I mean it can be something just simple as how they how they ballot you look at how they ballot i mean it observes all the uh, all the pro- protocols but it's they do it just a little bit differently like i like that that is sharp i can take that back to my lodge to see if the guys will incorporate that in the way we do it well you learn something different you know something that's three four five six districts away go for it take take the night take the day off work you know yeah, no, I agree completely. And I've taken many days off work, many days, whatever it is. There's, there's, there's ways to make it work. You know, there's ways to make it work. Yep. And, and, and now, you know, you don't even need to wear pants to visit another lodge. You just show up on your computer. Just so long as you've got a shirt and not even a tie, usually you can just wear whatever you want. You know, how many times do you get to visit a lodge without pants? You know, for having yeah, just, just don't stand up, yes. Yeah, well, don't stand up, but stay sitting, but not a problem for me. Uh, speaking of the not wearing pants. And yes, the, I'm wearing pants. It's good. I'm not going to say whether I am or not. I'll let the audience take a guess. But um, speaking of uh, the, the virtual world, 
you know, we, we mentioned at the start, Grand Lodge is virtual this year. Um, it is another example of uncharted territories. How do you think that it will go? Um, have you been in, in discussions with the, you know, the most worshipful grandmaster and, and uh, the administrative side about just, you know, the, the challenges, but also the, the benefits of going online and administering this, you know, uh, this process? Um, I'm not part of the discussion as to how it's going to be administered. I know as much as you do as to uh, the communications come out from the Grand Master and the Grand Secretary. Uh, but if you read the communications a few times over, you can tell that they've really, really thought this out. They've tried to cover all the bases, um, try to answer every, every possible question out there to deal with this. Um, I, I, I think no matter how well prepared they are, there still might be a hiccup out there because this is the first time for everybody. Maybe, you know, someone's access is going to go haywire for a day or two and it just has to be during the elections or, you know, some, it's going to be technical, whatever it is that may or may not go wrong. But I think whatever lessons we learn from this year will help create something better for next year. So, and also, I mean, if you really think about that, this was kind of rushed. Like we didn't have the option of spending three, four, five years to plan this out or to really look at you know, all other areas that vote electronically, whether it's municipality or otherwise. Um, but I know of the men who are organizing this, they are uh, dedicated, dedicated, dedicated. They want to make sure this goes with as little problem as possible. So I would just say, go with the flow, all instructions as close as possible. And I think it's gonna be just fine. Yeah, uh, credit where, where credit's due, certainly Grand Lodge has done a great job of communicating with, I'm, I'm secretary of Harmony Lodge, has done a great job of communicating with secretaries and providing the information um, so as secretary, I will say on behalf of all secretaries in Ontario, to all members in Ontario, read the shit we send you, please, because it's got all the information you need. We've, we're forwarding it from Grand Lodge. So um, yeah, check out the attachments, check your email, check your junk folders. Because even myself, uh, I don't know why, but on a couple of occasions, uh, Grand Lodge communiques have ended up in the junk folder by whatever algorithm it is that, that Outlook decides to shuffle them there. So just make sure, yeah, from the secretary's perspective, make sure you're checking email regularly and then members, same thing, because there is some really good information coming from Grand Lodge. As a fellow secretary, um, you should also check Grand Lodge website on a regular basis under the recent tab. And whatever goes out ends up there usually within 24 to 48 hours. So that's another great source of information. It's used at Grand Lodge website. Yes, I concur completely. That is another terrific, terrific resource for everybody, secretaries and otherwise. Um, yeah. Any Mason is going to benefit from the Grand Lodge website. Uh, Including students for the College of Freemasonry. Sorry? Including the students for the College of Freemasonry. Use that website. <laughs> We'll talk a bit about that then. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll end with, with that. Talk a bit about the College of Freemasonry. You know, I've had several brothers who have been involved with it in various ways on the podcast, but I get to really discuss it in detail. So throw a, throw a quick pitch because it's something definitely worth a Mason's time. Okay. The College of Freemasonry is an alternate um, manner of education. So one education, you hear lectures, um, you have your mentors telling you things, showing you things. The College of Freemasonry fills a different gap. It fills an academic gap um, on all, well, I'm not going to say all, but virtually every area of Masonic study. Whether it's, you know, benevolence, how we're perceived Masonically in the public, justice. A lot of people don't know that there's a justice system within Masonry. Uh, leadership, communication, officer training, protocol and etiquette, the district, 
history, philosophy and symbolism, the administration of Grand Lodge. So all these things are out there that you did not know. Or you may have a few brethren in your lodge who are specialists, say they're historical specialists. So you're going to learn a lot of history. Maybe some of your lodge has never taken on a Grand Lodge role. Well, yeah, there's a lot of do's and don'ts there. There's a lot of rules Grand Lodge officers have to follow. Ask your DD and your district secretary. Even you as a secretary, you know there's a lot of rules and regs that you need to follow. And there's probably others that you're not even aware of. They're just done for you. So these are things that are covered under the College of Freemasonry. Um, uh, we've taken a lot. Of, it works on the modular system. It's done at your own pace. It uses books that are available either through Grand Lodge or a few select suppliers. Um, we've taken some of those modules and we group them together to create a specific course of study. Example, if you want to become DDGM or run for the Board of General Purposes, you need to take the Past Master's course, which is a conglomeration of six specific modules. You take those six, then you're eligible to run for DDGM or for the Board of General Purposes. If you want to become Worst Master of your Lodge, or if you want to find out if a brother want is going to serve your Lodge well, we have eight modules we would recommend for that man to take to become Worst Master. Um, the past master of your lodge, they have to examine uh, the newly elected or the, the master elect is to decide whether he can lead your lodge. You take uh, these modules and I would say with high confidence that he will be able to answer all those questions put forward by those past masters, both administratively and ritual. Um, sorry, the ritual parts taken care of in the lodge, not by the college. Um, but he's going to have a firm understanding of what's going on around him. Um, some are just for interest. Uh, we have one for the district secretary. He doesn't have to take it, but if he has a basic understanding of what's going to be expected of him, then he can go into his new role with much uh, with, with better confidence. Um, the web FCF course, where the arts and sciences, which gets you your FCF. Um, which takes up 17 modules. Yeah, it, it's it's a big course of study, but it's well worth it. And that's the course I took when I was senior deacon, and that's when my world really started open up. Oh, I will leave a link in the uh, description to the College of Freemasonry. Uh, so if anybody wants to check out the the website, check out the description. Well worth your time. Um, with that, uh, it was, Worshipful Sir, a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I wish you the best of luck in your candidacy, and I look forward to, uh, I guess, virtually seeing you uh, at Grand Lodge this year. I can't promise I'll have pants on, but I'm still looking forward to, uh, to attending. I'm not looking, but uh, <laughs> Cameron, it's always a pleasure to chat with you, brother. Thank you for having me.